Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Interim Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. Today on the podcast, we are dropping in on another presentation from our Career and Professional Development Center. This one is How to Ace Your Law Firm Interviews. The talk is going to be moderated by Charles Shibetta from the class of 1995. He's a founding partner at Chavetz and Lindsay. And also on the panel with him will be William Collins, class of 85, Whitney Smith, class of 94, Lori Van Auken, class of 86, and Stephen Younger, class of 82. With the semester winding down here at Albany Law School, make sure to check albanylaw.edu slash coronavirus for all of the updates that you're going to need for in between semesters and starting the spring. And as always, make sure to follow us on social media to keep up to date on all the day-to-day happenings here at the law school. Enough from me, though. Let's join in on the panel. So, Mr. Younger, I would like to start with you first. Steve Younger is a partner at Patterson, Belknap, Webb, and Tyler in New York City, and he is a 1982 graduate of Albany Law School. Steve? Well, first, thank you all for uh, participating tonight. I wish we could see you in person. Uh, We'll leave that for another day. Um, I have a pretty boring career, which is unconventional for today's world in that I've been at literally the same law firm for 35 years, which is not the typical career track of, as you'll hear from uh, my co-panelists. I clerked on the New York Court of Appeals. Um, Actually, I had kind of a detour. I interviewed for a summer job at my firm, accepted it, and then got elected editor of the Law Review and then went back and said, no, I'm actually turning this down. Um, Fortunately, they, they still took me three years later, but uh, I was afraid that I'd put this blot on my career that I could never overcome. Um, But I clerked for the the Court of Appeals, and I think that is one avenue to get into big firms, even if you don't get in, you know, through this current avenue, um, because I know a lot of firms really value those sorts of clerkships. My firm does. Um, I, you know, was an associate for the requisite number of years. we then hit a, um, a recession, not quite as bad as what we're seeing now. And they decided to put all partnership decisions off for six months. I panicked, but six months later, they made me a partner. And I've basically been a commercial litigator at the firm ever since. Thank you, Steve. Next, I'll, I'll introduce Bill Collins. Uh, Bill is a partner at Covington and Burling, and he is a 1985 graduate of Albany Law School. Thank you very much, Mary. Uh, Nice to see everybody, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, tonight, and uh, nice to see see everybody. Um, After uh, I graduated from uh, the University of Virginia, I grew up in Ulster County, just an hour south of Albany, and I decided I wanted to come back to the Northeast to go to law school. And in Ulster County, I was surrounded, you know, I was surrounded growing up by a lot of lawyers in town who who went to Albany Law School. So I knew about the law school well from my um, younger years. Um, I spent the summer of 1984, um, I, I summer, I was a summer associate at a law firm called Mudge Rose Guthrie Alexander and Ferdon, um, which is uh, went went defunct 
in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, it also uh, had the reputation of being the law firm where uh, President Nixon came out of before he became president back in the late 60s. So anyway, I did my summer associateship in, in New York City, really wanting to, um, you know, I was an upstate country kid who wanted to discover whether I could handle New York City really out of curiosity more than anything else. And I realized that I really loved the city. Um, I ended up interviewing around after that summer and uh, took a job with Sullivan and Cromwell. Um, I was at SNC uh, for four years. And, um, and then I think my, um, my desire to um, try something a little different kicked in. Um, I became the 21st lawyer as an associate of a boutique firm called Howard Darby and Levin. Um, I ended up working my way through the, the ranks at um, Howard Darby, uh, became a partner in uh, 1994. Um, and then uh, the firm grew. Uh, I think we were 75 lawyers by, the, uh, by 1999. We ended up, um, the firm merged with Covington and Burling and became the New York office of Covington. Um, and that's where I've been uh, ever since. Um, so I really feel like I've been part of the New York office um, because the personality of the office is very similar uh, to what it was back in the late 80s at, as when it was in the form of Howard Darby. Um, we've since grown the office. All the partners of Howard Darby became partners of Covington. And I've been blessed to be part of this uh, great firm. It's a DC based firm, but we have offices worldwide, um, over a thousand, thousand lawyers at this point. Um, I'm a corporate partner. Um, I do work in the uh, energy space. I've been doing work, uh, transaction work, uh, my whole uh, career as a lawyer. Um, and uh, since, um, really since the early 90s, my, my specialty has largely been um, in the energy space, both um, it's largely power generation, representing sponsors and developers of uh, power generation facilities. Um, if you, if you, when, when you're lucky enough to fly through Kennedy Airport again, um, the asset that gave me much of my training in the energy space is the, uh, are the power systems at um, Kennedy Airport. Um, I did the uh, privatization of those facilities back in the early, uh, early 90s, and that's really been, um, you know, cornerstone uh, client and asset in my, my energy-oriented career, so. Anyway, nice to see you all. Look forward to this conversation. Thank you very much, Bill. And next, I'd like to introduce Lori Van Auken. Lori is a partner at Brian Cave, and she graduated from Albany Law School in 1986. Welcome, Lori. Well, thank you, Mary, and good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you all for coming this evening. I suspect you're on the verge of finals in the near days, so I uh, certainly appreciate your time uh, with us tonight. Um, I took a somewhat of a different or unusual route through uh, my career. I uh, graduated from Albany Law School in 86. I was not um, a member of the Law Review. I was not in the top 10% of my class. Uh, I sent out hundreds at that time of letters to law firms in New York where I was determined to be. I received a few offers for interviews, and one of those became a job offer, which I immediately accepted. 
Um, I was at the law firm for about 10 months when I received a call from a professor at Albany Law School, David Siegel, who has since passed, but has authored a treatise you perhaps may review from time to time on New York practice. Um, he asked me, since I had done very well in his class, if I might be interested in interviewing for a clerkship with uh, Judith Kay, who was then an Associate Justice of the New York Court of Appeals. Um, I, of course, said yes right away. And uh, thanks to him, had a lovely interview with Judge Kay. She was looking for someone with more than 10 months of experience on the job, and but introduced me to the law firm or the hiring partner of the firm with which she had been a partner before she was appointed to the bench. Um, I met with this partner and was offered a job with his firm. So within one year after graduating from Albany Law School, I was now at, at two, <laughs> two different law firms. Um, I, uh, the, the firm that I joined at that time was a, sort of a litigation boutique. It had uh, spun off of Cravath in the uh, 1960s and was doing a lot of antitrust work for IBM. Um, I was thrilled to be there. Uh, worked very hard, particularly with a partner on a large matter. And within three years, though, he announced that he was going to leave that firm to join uh, the New York office of Winston and Strawn. Um, and he wanted me to go with him. I was a fifth year associate at the time. I, of course, said yes <laughs> and uh, joined Winston and Strawn as a fifth year associate, where I planted my roots for about 28 years. Uh, I spent 25 years as a partner in the litigation department, uh, worked on a number of large and small matters, We've got a great deal of experience um, in representing financial institutions, insurance companies, um, telecommunications firms, and big antitrust and securities cases. Um, and after 25 years as a partner, decided to uh, probably made one of the hardest decisions I've made thus far and to, to sort of step back. Uh, take advantage of a retirement opportunity that the firm had since I'd been there for so long. And I started studying cybersecurity about uh, two years ago and uh, privacy. And um, earlier this year, decided to uh, explore opportunities with other law firms and perhaps with in-house positions where I could uh, take advantage of my newfound skills and was lucky enough, um, despite the pandemic and some very um, sort of up and down moments throughout the past few months to uh, have joined uh, another law firm here in New York as a partner in litigation, uh, Brian Cave, Light and Paisner, where I will continue to do some of the financial services litigation work that I've done for the past 28 years or so, and also um, be able to put my cyber and privacy um, knowledge, I guess, back to work. Thank you, Lori. Um, next, I'd like to introduce Whitney Smith. Whitney is a partner at K&L Gates, and he is a 1994 graduate of Albany Law School. Welcome, Whitney. Thanks, Mary, and um, good to be here. So, uh, so I am with K&L Gates, I'm a corporate M&A partner. I have been with K&L for over 20 years now. But my path was, uh, it's not a firm that I went to originally. I, uh, I was actually in the same class as Alicia, who was my editor in chief. 
been a while, how are you? And um, in my path, when I was in law school, I really, really wanted to be a trial attorney. And um, so the first firm, that, and I was interviewing for clerkships as well, um, but the, the first stop in my career was Bickle and Brewer in Texas. And Alicia was happy about that because we were interviewing to clerk for the same judge at the Court of Appeals in New York. So I went to, I went to Texas and Alicia stayed in Albany. Um, but I was a litigator for a number of years. I was at Bickle and Brewer and then I was moved back to the Northeast. I was with McCarter and English in New Jersey. And after about four years, uh, realized that commercial litigation doesn't really go to trial. And it was, you know, there's a difference between being a trial attorney and litigation. And decided I would switch to corporate work and to do M&A because to me, it was a kind of stand on your feet and negotiate and, and react uh, in real time that I thought of being a trial attorney would be. So I went to K&L to do that. I never looked back, been there for, like I said, over 20 years now. Thank you, Whitney. And now I'd like to introduce Charlie Scabetta, who will be our moderator for the rest of the program. Charlie is the founding partner at Chaffetz Lindsay in New York City, and he is a 1995 graduate of Albany Law School. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks, Mary. Hi, everyone. Um, just two quick corrections. It's Shibetta and uh, not Skibetta, but I get that all the time. I don't care Sorry. about that. I, I don't care about that. I get it all the time. But the second correction is uh, it's Chaffetz Lindsay and my partner Peter Chaffetz does care. So if you ever meet him, um, it's Chaffetz. Um, I'm already loving this because I'm learning a lot about the, the co-panelists that I didn't know. Some of, some of them I've known for a while. Some Whitney and I were, and Alicia are a year apart in law school. Um, but I'm already getting to know them better than I did back then, I think. Um, and there's a lot that I've learned just in the last couple of minutes about what we have in common. Maybe we'll touch on it as we get through this. Um, unlike Bill, I had no curiosity about New York at all when I was leaving Albany. I was from Buffalo. I knew for sure I wanted to be there, and I, and I certainly wasn't determined to be in New York like Lori was. Um, so I went back to Buffalo, summered in Jekyll, a firm that was then called Jekyll, Fleischmann, and Mugel. Um, that's now Bon Schenick. I spent three years there. I really thought after three years of practice, I really loved all me. I missed being in school. I thought I wanted to teach. So I went to Columbia. I studied for a year in an LLM program there uh, that was focused on teaching law school. I learned two things that I, when I was there, I was wrong about wanting to teach. I really missed practicing after only three years. Um, and I was also wrong about not wanting to be in New York. I fell in love with the city. So, Unlike when I left Albany in 95, I did interview with firms in New York when I left Columbia. And um, I was lucky enough to have some, a couple of choices. I decided to go to Rogers and Wells, which had a very strong Albany connection through Jim Benedict, who is um, a big law school backer, great litigator. He was head of the litigation department at Rogers and Wells. And we had a really nice contingent of Albany lawyers at the firm. Um, shortly after I joined that firm though, the, the Rogers and Wells merged into Clipper Chance. And, and that's where I made partner. I was partner at Clipper Chance for a number of years. And then when in 2009, some of my partners at the firm and I decided to go from what was then one of the biggest firms in the world to the smallest. So we started a litigation boutique back in 2009 with seven lawyers, um, five partners, two associates. We're now about 12 partners and, and 30 lawyers all in litigation and arbitration. 
our practice is a lot like the big firm litigation practices. We do the same kind of work we did back at Clifford Chance. Uh, we've been joined at our firm by a number of former big firm partners, some very senior from firms like Hogan Lovells and, and Wilkie and Norton Rose and others. Um, and I think we might have the highest number, if not the highest, one of the highest percentages of Albany lawyers as partners because one of my, of our 12 partners, we have two from Albany. Uh, one is Drew Poplinger, who is also at Pickle and Brewer. So Whitney, I don't know if you knew Drew or if you guys overlapped at all, but um, I got to know Bill through, through Drew, who Bill is also an Albany alum. Um, so, so now I'm at Chapin's Lindsay, and in addition to helping to found the firm back in 2009, I managed the firm, um, involved a lot with hiring associates and um, partners, and happy to talk through all of that as we get into this. I hope that this will be a conversation. I sort of enjoy moderating things, but the best panels to moderate are panels that are discussions and not just among the panelists, but all of the participants. So please feel free to jump in if, if anything prompts some interest and you wanna ask a question or join in the discussion. We're gonna organize this around a few sections. So as you're thinking about where to jump in, let me just give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going. We're gonna start off by talking about the interview process and um, some of us come from firms that have similar interview processes. There'll be some differences. We'll talk about that. What are we as interviewers and firms? What's our objective in, in terms of talking to all of you? What are we trying to get out of it? So you know how to approach this from, from our perspective a little bit. Uh, after we talk about the process a little bit, we'll then go into some specifics about interview subjects and questions. How do you talk about the firm that you're interviewing with? What do you need to know about the firm you're interviewing with? What do you need to know about the interviewer? How specific do you, might you want to think about being when you're thinking about practice areas? Um, after we talk about that, we'll touch a little bit about the subject of, if you're interviewing in New York, what do you say about why you want to be in New York? Uh, that's a question that some people have a, a lot of times. Um, how do you talk, if at all, about grades during the process? And what might you do post-interview after you've had a good interview with someone and you want to stay in touch with them and, and keep in touch? And then we'll wrap up with some um, parting thoughts after that. Um, so with that roadmap in mind, why don't we jump in with the object objectives in the process? And I thought maybe I'd ask Lori and Steve to kick that part off. Um, Steve, maybe you could talk us through what the kind of logistics uh, and the process issues are with the interview process at your form and what you know about others. So a few years back, I was a hiring partner. I'll describe the process then. We have a somewhat different model now because we no longer have a summer program, but the, our hiring process is really the same still. Um, and I think it's fairly similar to the model at many other firms. Um, so it starts off with a screen and some of you are doing what we call OCI, um, which is one partner or sometimes an associate interviewing like 10 or 15 people. That is one type of screen. But there's a second type as well, which is not always that advertised, which is you can get into the process by writing to somebody like Whitney and saying, you know, I'm a fellow Albany alum. I really would like to get an interview with your firm. Um, but in the screen process, it's a much different interview um, because it's shorter. It's usually about 20 minutes. You know, some are more like half an hour. You, you're basically just want to make an enough of an impression so you distinguish yourself from 
the other 14 people and try to keep the interviewer from falling asleep who's you know, been doing this for for like nine hours straight um and and it's it's really about do we invite you back to the firm that's the question that the the person at the end of the day is going to decide and you know basically i'll find i write you know two three notes on the back of each resume um, and make sort of a, you know, pretty good judgment of this is a yes, this is a no, and these are kind of maybes. Um, we usually don't have a specific number of people. So say I've interviewed 12 people, it's not a fixed formula. I can only invite back five or three or something, but, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's basically a, to funnel the funnel down. When you get back to the firm, it's a much different process. Um, you're being organized. Every firm has a recruiting office. They may call it something different. Ours is called the Office of Professional Development. And that person will shepherd you around the firm. Now, obviously, that's being done virtually. But that person sets up your schedule. So um, that person is basically your handler. And so you want to get to know that person. You want to get have that person you know, tell you how the process is going to work and who you're going to see. Um, and you can have that conversation even the day or two before the interview. When you get there, you'll typically see two partners, sometimes three, but probably more like two, and then a certain number of associates. Those are more like half an hour interviews. I'd say the interview is about 20, 20 minutes an interview and 10 or so minutes you interviewing us and asking us questions which is, is, we'll get into in a little bit, really how you can differentiate yourself. What happens is we then all fill out some kind of a form. A form may be a little different depending on each firm, but basically it asks us to rate you. You know, yeah, yeah, I give you an offer, maybe I give you an offer, or no, I wouldn't. You know, and you know, <laughs> we have all different kinds of words that describe that, but, but that's basically the rating we give you. Um, there is a comment field, and then we rate you typically on certain subjects. You know, some of us will have a thing on your academics. My firm now is going to a system where, you know, your GPA doesn't even get shown to the, the interviewer, but um, they can then ask you, you know, to be rated on how are your interpersonal skills. Here's one which is on many of those review forms, which is how interested or you have a demonstrated interest in the firm you know you want them to check off yes you know? um, so all of those forms now go electronically into a committee uh, most firms have a hiring committee that meets once a week um, and so anybody who's interviewed in the last week will be reviewed by that committee that importantly that committee includes associates Remember, if you interview with an associate, it's as important, sometimes it could be more important than interviewing with a partner. Don't treat it like it's any different. Um, and around the table, people will discuss, you know, the applicants that week. Um, and it's what I call, you may remember this from your college applications, rolling admissions. So, you know, we have a target of, we give out like say 25 to 30 offers each year, we know from the 30 offers, we tend to get, you know, acceptances from 15% of them. It's not a science, but so 
you know, there is some benefit to being early in the process, given that it's rolling admissions. So, you know, as we get down to the end of our process, we have a little less flexibility to give more offers, depending on how many we've given out. Um, once you get that offer letter, we often have a recruitment process ourselves where we assign a partner and an associate to the applicant to try to recruit you to come join us. And that's something that we'll talk about in terms of how that process will work. But, but that's sort of it in a nutshell. Great. Um, so going through that process, what, Lori, what is, are your thoughts on that process? Any, anything that you've seen different in it from your perspective? And what's the objective? What are we trying to get out of the process? Sure. Um, I was also um, involved in the hiring committee at Winston and Strawn, my prior firm, for about 20 years. Um, and that process was very similar to what Steve has described. Um, in some, in more recent years, we tried to accelerate that process. So we weren't necessarily meeting every week any longer. Um, we were making decisions very quickly within 24, 48 hours, uh, which all, which was helpful, we thought, to be able to get back to uh, students quickly and to try to be somewhat more competitive with other large firms in New York. But in terms of, a, of sort of the objective of the interview, um, I think stepping back as an interviewer, people may have different approaches to, to the questioning, but I think we're all sort of looking for somewhat the same thing. Um, we are looking at, at a candidate to assess whether or not he or she is capable really of performing well as an associate at our, at our law firm. And it may be that there are um, certain skills that we are gonna inquire about. We will look at your resume and then ask questions about. Um, they might be, you know, a, a good skill to be a capable associate is being able to research well, to communicate well, whether it's writing or orally. And it's also being a good part, a good team member. Is this person going to get along well with others here at this firm? And to sort of to even step back further, I think those questions will come to you in certain ways, certain criteria that we're trying to look for. Um, one is this person smart? Is there, you know, are there, is there some brain matter intelligence uh, that we can discern? Some of that will maybe come from your academic record, but not necessarily. It can show up in other ways um, from the way you answer questions from some of the projects you've worked on, um, it, either at law school or in prior job positions. We're also going to look to see whether you can communicate well. Um, can you articulate um, uh, speak clearly, discuss some of your past experiences coherently. Um, everyone will be nervous. That those nerves will show up in the way you're speaking. Um, you should not worry about that. Um, if you are concerned, I think it's worthwhile to take a few practice um, uh, videos of yourself speaking and as talking about yourself. Um, and then beyond sort of being, you know, trying to assess some intelligence, trying to assess whether you communicate well, there's a third category that's a little uh, broader, a little more amorphous, but I think we're all looking for another, another trait and it can be described in many different ways. Um, are you motivated? 
Are you driven? Is this person enthusiastic about practicing law? Um, is this person curious? Um, they're go we're going to be looking for something in your uh, discussion with us and your questions, your answers that demonstrate to us that you are really um, going to be able to show some initiative and perform well as an associate at, at a law firm. And uh, I can others can pipe in here and there may be other sort of criteria in a big picture that you want to assess, but there will be different questions and ways that everybody goes about assessing uh, those matters. Laura, Laura, you mentioned that you take a look at the resume and then you have a conversation about things that might not show up on the resume. What's your sense of kind of the balance between that? How, how does looking at the resume weigh relative to the interview? Are there things that come up on a regular basis that people can think about in terms of crafting their resume and supplementing that when they get into the interview process? Well, I think certainly the resume is, is, is certainly the springboard for that conversation, that interview that you're going to have. Um, I think it would be, it's always very useful um, to me. I think when you're preparing for your interview to have a, be able to, to discuss everything that's on your resume, whether it's your grades, whether it's a paper you may have written, whether it's a journal article or not, maybe it's something you did that was important as an undergraduate. Maybe it was a job experience. Maybe it was an internship, a clinical experience, or even some of the interests that you have on the bottom of your resume. But for every one of those things, prepare in advance, maybe a you know, two or three sentence story, have it, have it coherently formulated, um, be prepared for a follow-up question so you can provide more detail about it. And as you're thinking about all of those little, you know, maybe there's stories or vignettes where you're going to expand upon the information on your resume, think about what characteristics, what skills you learned, what things you did in those positions or with those projects that might bear on, does it show that I research well, I communicate well, that I get along well with other people, that I've taken maybe a leadership role, all of those sort of job, uh, good job characteristics um, you, you have in your resume, you've done well in undergraduate school, you're in law school, um, be ready to talk about them and have a conversation about them. That's. Um, my view about that. If I can say, picking up on what Lori just said, the resume is an opportunity to tell a story about yourself. And I, in preparing for interviews, I always pick up the um, resume and educate myself about the, the, the candidate that I'm about to, to see and formulate my own questions about, the, you know, that I might ask the person before they, they're um, before me. And, um, and so, Creatively writing your resume in a way that prompt that might prompt questions is also, um, you know, an, a, an important idea. And um, as Lori said, be prepared to, um, you know, convey additional detail about your personal story that is enticing to to an interviewer. Yeah, Bill. You know, I do the same thing. I look through a resume and I try try to track it through what does someone do in college, what do they do after college, what do they do in law school, what do they do in the summers, and, and actually in kind of trying to pick up well, where, what are areas that I can have a meaningful conversation with this person, because as we said early, you know, our, our job in these things is in, if it's a callback, maybe 30 minutes is to kind of 
pick up, do you have what it takes? Do you have the gray matter? Do you have the, the initiative? Do you have, can you work under pressure? And so what I'm looking for is, okay, what did you do? And, and let's talk about some of your experiences. And the whole time I'm trying to relate in my head, how does this, you know, how would this relate to private practice and our expectations at K&L if you were working on a deal with me? So I, I agree with Bill, you, know, you, you know, think about that resume and, and, and don't put, you know, don't blow it out of proportion in describing what you did if it's not a fair representation because we get someone like me to say, hey, that sounds really cool. Let's talk about it substantively. And then um, that might not go so well. It's interesting yeah, too, when you look at your the resume, oh, sorry, in terms of your resume, I like to say nobody can change their GPA, but you can change your resume based on what you volunteer for. So if you want to be an environmental lawyer, you join the Environmental Law Society, or you want to be a patent lawyer, join the, the Science and Tech Journal. So you'll, you'll, I'll be looking for things on your resume that confirm what you say your interests are. It's funny because Steve and I jumped in at about the same time to say exactly opposite points, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which uh, is kind of cool about this process because we've been talking about this. We realize a lot of this is subjective and, and you're going to get different things from different people on this. When I look at a resume, it, it is, you know, if you see somebody, I, I'm in a litigation firm. If I see somebody who's involved with litigation, that, that confirms to me that they have some demonstrated interest already. But the thing that I've learned over the years of doing this is the practice is really varied. There's so many skills, experiences that go into making you a good lawyer. Almost anything that you've done can fit into what you're going to do next if you think about it. And um, what's most important to me is in those experiences you've had, how have you demonstrated that you're really curious about what you're doing? And whatever the task in front of you is, you're going to knock it out of the park as best you can. And you care about that. And, you know, Lori said these things, driven, motivated, curious, but that these are coming from internal drive and not external drive. And if, and if you can convince me of that and, and just tell me, you know, what I've done in the past, I, I liked it, I did it to the best of my ability, I'm ready to do something different. That would convince me if you can convince me of those other things. Um, another thing, something else that Steve said was, uh, you want to be able to tick the box off that you're interested in the firm that you're that you're interviewing with. And um, Whitney, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that that was a pretty important topic to you. So maybe you can jump off on what Steve was starting to say earlier. How might somebody do that, prepare for it, and then demonstrate it in an interview? Yeah, yeah, um, certainly. It, I think it is very important. Um, you know, the and, and a lot of this is preparing for the interview and what we're looking for. It, it's kind of a launching off point, right? Is, you know, what is that interest that you have in the firm? And, you know, how prepared are you for your interviews? So, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent that you, you, know, you should do everything that you can to research the firm and research the office of the firm that, that you are interviewing with and the people that you're interviewing with. Because, if I look at, you know, take Ken and Gates as an example, we're a huge firm. We're all over the world. There's a lot of firms like that around New York. And so if you just look at our website and you, and you look at Williams and Connolly and you look at Clifford Chance, you're going to see a lot of the same descriptions. But I think that you really have to um, 
understand what the firm is known for and, and a particular office is known for more so than we do everything under the sun because we can. That's how big law firms are these days is we can, we can cover anything under the sun. And what's, what is very telling to me is how someone actually taken the time to research what we do at the New York office of K&L Gates and express an interest in it so that they're going to, to fit in rather than someone who's like, you know, I'm just looking for a summer job. I'm looking for a permanent position and in litigation. And it's a hard thing to do, um, to do that research. And, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, I, I think you gotta reach out and talk to as many people as you can, especially at the associate levels who will kind of give you all the, um, the nuances around different firms so that you can put your best foot forward. And, and knowing what that firm really is known for and expressing an interest in it. So, you know, I, I give an example when we were discussing earlier um, about this panel, you know, I had someone, you know, that had come in for an interview and, and you know, I think that they wanted to demonstrate, well, I'm you know, curious in esoteric areas of law and they saw on our website that we, you know, had a group that practiced um, law that's applicable to, um, uh, Native Americans, and so you said, "Well, you know, I'd really be interested in doing that." And, and to me, I was like, "Look, at our New York office is seventy-five attorneys, and we do litigation, we do M and A, and we do investment management. That law is out of our Seattle office, and we'll never see it." And you know, it was, it was, so it was kind of just right out of left field. And so that's why I think you really need to understand where you're interviewing and where you would fit in as best you can. And I recognize it is really, really difficult because our external um, marketing materials looks very similar from law firm to law firm. They're just different case names and different deals. Um, but for instance, if you're interviewing at, um, with Bill and you, know, you ought to be knowing that he's been doing energy deals for a long time and, and you know, know a little bit about that or show some interest in that. And if you have a true interest and it's backed up by past uh, experience on your resume, you know, all the better. Yeah, just jump in. Yeah, the part of it that's easy, I mentioned the recruiter being the person that shepherds you. You can call that report recruiter a day or two ahead of time saying, you know, can you give me a list of names of the people that I'm going to see? I just pulled up Whitney's resume. First thing on his resume is that he did a Series A financing for a Canadian company involved in the medical cannabis industry in Uruguay. And I can then say, you know, Mr. Smith, you know, do I know that you worked on this deal? Do you see that sort of area, the cannabis uh, financing, is something that's a growing one and that your firm is going to see more of? Then, you know, Whitney knows they've actually thought a little bit about his firm and, and what they do. And it's all right there on his resume. Unlike, unlike the era when I came out of law school, there was no such thing as the internet. And we didn't have even have email. Um, this is back in the days of, 
you know, faxing information uh, or FedExing information to get it to get it around. Um, there's a lot. There's a ton of information on the uh, on the internet that you can that you can research about a firm or an office. Um, there's you know there's tons of articles that have been written about um, our firms that are that, you know information that's out there. There's there's a certain amount of research that's doable, and as uh, Steve has said, you can also um, do research on on the people that you're going to be interviewing with. And there's nothing that um, will will differentiate you from um, everybody else that is interviewing than to show you've had an interest, you have a you know, very specific interest in an office or even a firm, um, and be able to uh, to 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 talk. Um, to talk about it. I mean, that's that's how you um, you'll grab the attention of of the interviewer is to show that you've you have have exhibited that level of sort of care and research uh, before you um, before you sat in the interview chair. May I just pipe in on that because someone who is at a different level, level through that experience of interviewing with different law firms, I can agree, as Whitney and I think Bill of others have pointed out, you can go on a, on the firm's website and see a lot of information. I mean, just probably too much information in some respects. Um, but definitely go to the New York office page. And there there should be a little more of a narrative about what is what that office of the firm is, what their specialties are, what they, their principal areas of practice. Definitely get the list of the names of, or the names of the people that you're going to be interviewing with, but recognize that they can change because we always this happened to mm -hmm. us all the time. Somebody would would have to drop off, and someone else we'd have to find somebody to fill in. So you have to be a little flexible there. But it is well worth the, the time to find out the names of the people you're likely to be interviewing with. Go through their bios on their on the website. If you know you're really interested in litigation, for example, and it's just probably easy uh, to say, it's also, it, it's worth spending some time to go through the bios of a number of litigators, whether they're partners or associates in the New York office, just to get a sense also of what kinds of cases they're working on, um, what matters are, you know, might be taking up a lot of their time or do it, on, you know, in, the, in any of the corporate transactional practices, if you're interested in that, or real estate or tax. But I think if you can, it's very helpful to be able to try to make a connection with the interviewer, um, whether it's and, and knowing perhaps something about what they're working on or have worked on in the past, or maybe there's a connection that you have because they went to Albany Law School or they went to the same undergraduate school. But all of those are, are very useful um, pieces of information that you can get from uh, an attorney bio on a website. That research. And I guess the only thing that I would add to that is, um, like Whitney said, be thoughtful about what you're doing, not only in terms of making sure you're factually correct about it when you're raising a question, but that it really, the, the, the things that you're trying to create a connection over are, are, are real and they really resonate with you. Because yeah. I think some of this advice that we're giving you right now is pretty common. A lot of people will tell you to make sure that you know the firm and you know something about them that you can use as a springboard to a conversation. And a lot of people in interviews try to do that but it can come across as flat and disingenuous. So, so think about really what your background is and, and look for firms that, that really do excite you because then you can have a, if you show some real excitement, that resonates. If, it's, if you're just trying to tick some boxes of, yeah, I researched this guy's bio, that's gonna be negative, not positive. Charlie, before we move on to the next question, we have a, 
a question from a student. So I'm gonna use Jenna Di Benedetto. Jenna, can you unmute or do it? Okay, great. Hi, um, just to backpedal for a second. Um, I know there was a, a mentioned discussion of the, the pros and cons of kind of what you have on your resume when you're walking into an interview, but um, do any of you feel like there is ever any detriment to having a, a certain trend of a type of work on your resume? I've, I've been sort of advised in the past to maybe cater a resume, obviously, if you know you're applying to somewhere that's specialized in something to kind of highlight those attributes in your resume. But has there ever been an instance when you're reviewing a resume where you say, oh, like this individual has too much of X, so perhaps we're not interested in interviewing them now, and that could be a hindrance for an applicant. Well, let me jump in on that. You know, if you're, you know, if your resume really demonstrates a true interest in environmental law, and and, and that comes across, and you're you know, coming to to Kano Gates, New York. Our environmental lawyers are in other offices. And so, you know, and that's why I say you got to understand what the office is that you're that you're applying to. And and so you, you come in, I'm gonna look at that and say, well, you know, it's clear that you you know have a passion for environmental law. I'm not sure that we can, you know, we really don't have a spot for that here. So I think you do have to think um, think about that. And you know, and I'll tell you a, a story about myself when I was in law school um, and my resume and in interviewing at, I think it was uh, Dewey Ballantyne at the time or something and, or Sherman, one or the other. And you know what? I didn't have a lot of money when I was in law school and I would take jobs writing for different digests and legal journals and stuff like that just to make extra money. And those were all on my resume. And I remember a partner looking at me and saying, you know, and they were like, and they were not corporate law journals, so, you know, there was, it was, you know, family law here, it was zoning over here, it was anything that I could make money on. And, and I, I had a partner said, geez, I just can't figure you out. Um, you know, what are you doing here? What are you interested in? And, you know, it, so you got it, you, so you have to be ready about that. And I said, look, at, I'll give you the common thread here. I needed money. And so I got paid at different things and I was sharpening my, my writing skills. Um, but I'm really interested in, you know, at the time, commercial litigation. I want to be at a big firm doing commercial litigation. So, that, so you do have to think about how your resume comes across. Yeah, it's, it's hard to react too specifically without knowing, you know, kind of what the advice you got in the past is. But um, for me, for some of the reasons I said before, that would be less important for me, what is listed on the resume in the experience section. But that's not true for all of my colleagues. And so I, I know some people care more about that. And, and if you can know what the firm is doing, if you have a real interest in what the firm's doing, like I said before, it's genuine. Think about what your experience is and how do you demonstrate, if, if, if you can, in your past experience, that that interest you have is genuine. Put it both in paper and then be ready to talk about it in the interview. Yeah, I'll say that um, you know, as a corporate lawyer, uh, by the time a candidate is sitting in front of me to, to for an interview, um, the recruiting department and that's through the screen, they have sort of positioned the candidates either for our litigation group or our corporate group. So by the time the interview, the um, you know the in-office interviews are being um, uh, scheduled, 
the lawyers that you're going to be speaking to, if you've expressed some interest in corporate, you're you're going to you're going to be speaking to corporate lawyers. And so, um, my presumption always is, I'm look when a when a young person is coming out of law school or for a summer job, they're looking to become a corporate lawyer. I'm looking for what are the things that convey to me that that, that they really do have a true interest in the court in being a transactional lawyer. And so I'll look for you know um, you know different uh, different elements in the resume that, that sort of convey to me that this person does have a, an interest in transactions, whether it be an accounting, some accounting background, or they had some prior job or interest that, or, or their coursework that indicates that they have, um, you know, have an interest in, in, uh, in transactional work or that sort of backstops that. So to that extent, I will look for clues in the, um, in the resume. So if someone is sitting in front of me and says they have an interest in corporate law, but they've, they've got a long list of, of, um, of things that sort of indicate um, they've interned or clerked and done litigation or they were a litigation paralegal and everything weight is weighted towards litigation, but they're, they're, they're you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to elicit an explanation of how they went from that interest um, to the other. And like Whitney was saying, you know, Covington and Burling, you know, has has a array of preeminent regulatory practices largely housed down in Washington. You know, we don't practice other than tax. We don't really have you know can, we don't um, practice the regulatory uh, practices um, in the in New York. And so, if someone comes in and says, "Oh, I really want to be you know a CFIUS lawyer or um, a uh, FERC lawyer." Um, you know that that would be in the Washington office and not in the not in the New York office. So it's again knowing know know your audience. How, how, so so Bill said that their firm is splitting folks up in early in the early in their careers, really, in terms of interest between litigation and and corporate. The I see you're talking about the summer during the summer summering period, right? Yeah, to, to the extent to the extent that's that's achievable I mean I, rem, I remember when I was when I was a summer associate I actually thought I was going to be a litigator and um, it was really spending my summer at Mudge Rose where I split my summer between uh, working part uh, part of the summer doing litigation uh, assignments and then the other half was working in on corporate assignments it was actually that summer that clued me in that a, the corporate practice was um, was a better fit for me um, for for my for my career, and that you know that was my launching pad. And in fact, that you know, took a job at Sullivan and Cromwell in the in the corporate group. So um, I think the firm, you know, I, Covington is certainly realistic about um, you know second year students are not necessarily going to know uh, long term what they want to do. But if, to the extent we can determine through the uh, screen interview whether there's a, a an interest in one way or another, the firm will take that into account in setting up the interview schedule. Um, you know, in 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 the office, um, it's it's perfectly fine at at that uh, sort of stage of your development. It's perfectly fine to say, look, I don't really know what I want to do, um, but I I have an interest in working in a sophisticated environment, doing, um, you know, sophistic sophisticated things for sophisticated clients um, at your firm. Yeah, that, that's where I was going with the question. I'm curious how others feel about that too. So we talked a little bit about researching the firm and the individual lawyer they're interviewing with. 
how important it is, is it to the rest of you, whether somebody knows what practice area they want to be in, or even how common is it that people know what they want to be in when they're talking to you coming out of school? I think most students do not know what they want to be. I, I think, um, you know, in my experience, uh, you know, the vast majority maybe thought they liked litigation or maybe they thought they liked transactional work, but really wanted to use the summer experience to, or their summer um, associate position to experience uh, work in both of those areas so they could make a, a better decision about that. Um, there were certainly people um, like me who knew I wanted to be a litigator, others who really want to do transactional work and, and certainly they were you know, accommodated and uh, given mostly, interviewed mostly with corporate people or litigators and got that type of work as a, as a summer associate. But um, I think it, it's not necessarily expected, at least in my experience, that um, a, a second year law student will know um, that they definitely want to be in one practice area or another. I, I agree. You know, I, I came out with the same way. And, and when I say, you know, know your know the firm you're interviewing at and kind of understand it, I don't, I don't want to give the impression that, that, you know, the expectation is that you come into an interview and you know that you want to be a, a transactional lawyer, um, you know, or a litigator or some kind of regulatory lawyer. Uh, you are young in your career. But think about the same time. It helps us. Um, when we're kind of thinking about the right balance of, of our associates and our needs and what are the growing departments um, within our firm. Um, so it does help if, it, if you have an interest, but it's certainly not, um, not necessary. I mean, I was going to say, how many uh, people checked off the box they wanted, when they were applying to college that they wanted to be a bio major? And ended up being a history major. <laughs> um, I think a lot of this depends on where you are in the process. Most summer associate programs have some sort of rotation. And frankly, I wish that's one of the things I missed in my career. I wish I had spent a rotation as a corporate lawyer. I think it would have made me a better commercial litigator. Um, I do think it, it, it varies on the type of, of specialty. So if you're talking about a niche area like ERISA or tax, a firm may only hire somebody once every three years or so for those areas, whereas corporate litigation, you know, they're hiring much more bulk in, in terms of because they're bigger departments. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a, a good really segue into something that we were talking about earlier in terms of um, we're talking about getting information about a single firm or a single practice area. How, how do these folks who are going into the interview process compare between firms. And I think we had some different views on that earlier in the conversation, but this is a pretty striking and easy one to address. It probably won't be that controversial. We're only litigation. So, so um, for us, but, but, but even for us, people don't have to know that they're committed to being a litigator for their entire career. We recognize that people will change. And something you said, Steve, about a corporate lawyer, um, you wish you had some corporate experience. A couple of the best associates that we've had started out as first year um, corporate litigators and decided to switch and then came to us and that, that experience is really helpful. So you can always make these kind of changes down the road and we all as we're interviewing know that kind of thing. Um, but on the topic generally of comparing as between firms, is that something that any of you ever get into in interviews? Um, 
Do you talk about other firms with the candidates in interviews? Lori, how, how about you on that one? Um, I usually do not, um, either in a screening interview or a callback interview. I, I suppose there may have been occasions where I was asked about other firms um, in a callback interview. Um, but as I, I don't think those are particularly um, appropriate questions at this stage. Um, I would, my personal view is that um, you should um, be focusing on uh, learning more about that firm and when you get an offer and maybe you're lucky to be weighing offers from several different firms, um, you should follow up and request a second, I guess they call it a follow-up interview after you receive your offer. And, and at that stage, I think it's more appropriate to say to a partner, well, gee, I've got you know an offer here from K&L Gates and another one from Covington. I'm trying to figure out um, you know, how does your firm you know, distinguish itself from, from the other? Um, but I personally think those kinds of questions comparing different firms are best left until a, a later stage after you've received an offer and are really weighing your options. Yeah, I'm with Lori on that, although I think the generic questions could work. You know, so I could ask Whitney, what is it like to work in the New York office of a firm where you're headquarters is in the West Coast as opposed to, or you know, what is it like to work at a firm that's only litigation as opposed to a full service firm? You know, you can ask those more generically, but I would not be saying, you know, you know how do you compare the ABC firm to the DEF firm? You know, I have a different view than you both on that because, and, and, and it's interesting to get your perspective, but sometimes I will ask, um, candidates in the interview process, you know, where else they're interviewing. And the purpose of my question is, you know, because I, I do feel for the students that, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to distinguish among big firms until you're in the environment and you're in New York and you're interacting with other firms. It's, it's it can, you know, from the outside looking in, I, I think that we can be very hard to distinguish. And so I ask candidates, uh, and if they're willing to share, uh, more for the purpose of, of understanding you know, what they're looking for in a law firm experience. And, you know, and, and I'll actually start with that question. You, know, you tell me, you know, after um, my, my format is, is trying to ask questions to determine, you know, do you have the gray matter? Can you communicate effectively and, and work ethic and things like that? But, but then I want to turn it over and say, um, you know, what are you looking for in a law firm? Because there's there is a difference um, between coming to K and L New York with you know, 75 attorneys in the New York office, 1,800 attorneys globally, and going down the street to Scotton with a thousand lawyers in New York and having um, offices all over the world. But you're in, you know among a, you know, the home office of a thousand lawyers there. It's a, it's a very different experience. And I think that, um, that candidates ought to really think about what is the experience that, that they are looking for and in order to ask questions about what the environment is. And you know, again, relaying it to myself, I was very much of the view that 
I, I wanted to go to a place that I wasn't, you know, um, kind of the bottom person on the, uh, of a deal team and really didn't get substantive responsibility. I wanted to work in a place that staff cases and deals leanly, that I could get experience, I could kind of accelerate through the learning curve of being a lawyer. And, you know, so those are the kind of firms that I sought out and the kind of practice groups and environments that I sought out. And, and I think that, um, you know, different people are looking for different experiences. And so that's why I ask the question. Sometimes I ask, you know, where else they're interviewing so that I can give them a little bit more insight into how we're different. And I'll especially ask that question if I really like the person and I want them to come to okay. K&L and say, look at, you know, this is who we are, you know, at our core. And that's different than going to Scadden or K&E across the street. And so you decide what is it that you're looking for? What's important to you? Some of the best interviews actually become conversational. Um, I try to you know, of course, um, 30 minutes goes pretty quickly, but I'll spend, I'll try, always try to leave, um, you know, a third of the time of an inter of the interview uh, to give the candidate an opportunity to ask me questions. So I'll say, do you have questions for me you'd like to ask? And so um, it's particularly impressive if the candidate has, again, done the homework um, to figure out uh, probing questions of me that um, show interest in the firm, interest in the practice, interest in me, um, you know, um, and end up having a back and forth where they're asking questions as much as me, me um, asking questions. And I, I don't know that I'm unusual in that. I think a lot of interview interviewers will, will um, do that today, which is to, you know, um, see how the, how the, how the, um, what, what sorts of what quality questions the, um, the candidate um, is willing to ask in a, you know, in that sort of setting. And I think the, the best interview is a conversation. And someone said earlier, it's a very subjective process. Your goal is to try some kind of connection with the person you're interviewing with. And look, you may not do it with every single interviewer, but you know, you want to do it with as many as you can. And what I'm sort of looking for is somebody who has the self-esteem, who has the confidence to portray themselves and to present themselves to me in a way that shows they're really interested in my firm and they have something to offer me. Mm -hmm. um, and then with that conversation, I think almost all of us have at least the last third of the interview doing this, you know, something where they really have shown through their questions that that they have a, you know, a real understanding or want to have an understanding about our practice. Yeah, I think I, the, certainly the best interviews are conversations. And I, I always end the, end the interview with, are there any more questions? And that's often the hardest question to ask somebody because they're sick and tired of asking questions. And, and they already know everything they want to know about your firm because they've already talked to seven people before they talk to you. Um, I don't hold it against anybody if they say, no, I'm good <laughs> at that point. So long as, so, long as the, so long as the interview before that has been fine. But I think that shows some confidence too. If you can say, no, I've asked, I've spoken to so-and-so, uh, I, I appreciate the process, but I'm not going to make up questions just to go through that last five or 10 minutes with you and pretend I'm interested in something I'm not. <laughs> 
You know, I, I think it's a, that's a, it's a really important point to pause on for our audience here. You know, I, I think what you're hearing from, from us as the panelists is it's a really important part of the interview. And, and it kind of goes back to, you know, what I was saying about demonstrating interest in the firm and, and what we're interviewing and stuff. More so if you kind of back up to, to questions that you're asking um, the interviewer, you know, if it's, um, you know, if it's coming across as kind of canned questions and stuff, the conversation could get rather flat. And, and, and that happens. Um, and, you know, to Steve and Charlie's point about the conversationalism, I think some of the best interviews that, that I have and the people who have impressed me the most are the ones that are um, really asking the probing questions, not, you know, um, you know, on esoteric areas, but, you know, what is it like you know, what are your junior associates doing on a day-to-day -day basis? What deals are you working on now? And, you know, what is a typical day in your life? Um, someone who's really interested in trying to understand what it's like to be in your office and what the expectations are, um, the kind of work that they would be getting is, to me, it's, it's very important and really demonstrates a genuine uh, interest in, in the firm and how they would fit in so that that person is making a more informed judgment of where they think that they would fit into. Because it's, it's expensive for firms to bring in associates and lose them after you know, a couple of years of, of training and stuff when you, when you put that training time in. So you know, we really want people that truly wanna be how you know be in a firm environment that we have. And I compare that to what I said earlier. Question. Sorry. I compare that to a canned question of <laughs> tell me about your summer program. It's like, well, we've got a brochure. You could have read about that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's why going back to what Whitney said earlier, in, in contrast with what Lori said about talking about other firms, to me that's actually an opportunity for somebody to, to really tell me what they're interested in. They're interested enough in my firm to make some specific comparisons to other firms that they're very interested in. And, and if I'm having a conversation with an associate or candidate who's considering K&L Gates, it, it, part of that conversation, if I really like them, yeah, it would be to try to convince them that this is a good spot for them. But I would for sure also say, you know what, if you're really considering K&L Gates, you should call Whitney. He's a great guy. He's going to tell you about that firm. I think that shows confidence in my firm that I'm, I'm willing to have my firm compared to K&L Gates. So I think that's good for me. And also if they prefer to be at K&L Gates, I would rather have them be there. I, they're not gonna be happy with, with my firm if K&L Gates is, is the firm for them. And so I wanna help people who are going through the inter process, interview process understand some of the differences that we know about so that they can make a choice that's good for both them and for us. Um, and that, and that all of this stuff comes around back to what Steve and Bill said about Whitney about being a genuine converse, genuine conversation. Um, if you can have a conversation with somebody about what's important to them, and you find that it overlaps with what's important to you, that's the kind of match you're looking for. What about what about um, you know we're all in New York now. I don't know if everybody on the call from the school is thinking about New York or just interviewing generally, but what about it, the importance of wanting to be in New York or with a particular city that you're interviewing in. Um, 
Laura, you were determined to be in New York. Do you care if the people you're interviewing are as determined as you were? Well, I think it's uh, it's helpful. I mean, I mean, I um, I don't think I you know I grew up in upstate New York and I went to SUNY Albany and Albany Law School. There was nothing that said you know New York City on my resume at all. Um, I was an upstate you know person, so um, I was often I mean if not regularly asked in the in interviews. Um, you know, did I, why did I want to be in New York? Um, was, was I sure that I wanted to be in New York City? And um, I hated that question. I was really offended by it um, because certainly I had done a lot of work to get myself interviews in New York. And I thought it was certainly the place, um, you know, I was there, I'd put in that effort. I wanted to be, why wouldn't I want to be in the sort of most challenging, you know, the commercial center of the one of the commercial centers of the world with some of the most challenging and sophisticated uh, legal work. So um, I um, never ask anyone um, if they are interested or whether they really want to be in New York or if they're maybe just looking to come to New York for a, a, uh, if they're from out of town and they don't have any New York City connections, whether they might only be interested in coming to New York for a, a summer uh, to spend time in, in uh, Manhattan. Um, I have had colleagues who think that it's very important to do that. Um, and uh, so we've had differences even within my, my old firm. But I certainly from, for people who are from New York State um, or the New York City metropolitan area, there is, um, you know, there should be, um, in my view, no questions about your real interest in being in New York City. Um, I'd be very curious if any of you get those questions these days too. <laughs> but I think that people, particularly from Albany, should be prepared to answer because a lot of people in New York City have no idea where Albany is. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I think you just gave the best answer, Lori, which is this is the peak of the profession, the most exciting commercial city. Um, and why wouldn't I want to be there? Or, you know, I have friends from college who are working at Goldman Sachs or whatever, and you know, I've spent time with them and, and there's nothing more that I'd like to do with my life than, than to be a, a New York lawyer. My office is full of people who've, who grew up yeah. all, all, all around the country and came to New York because of the opportunities that practicing law in New York uh, provided. And um, I, I think of a lot of my friends and colleagues, they, they don't have New York City roots. I, cer I certainly did not when I was growing up two hours north of New York City. I think, the, I, think I came to came into New York City once or twice um, as a teenager. It was a place, it was a place to be avoided, not, not to, to come. And I also remember vividly early in my career, um, it, took, it took quite a while for me to feel you know, comfortable and rooted in New York because it was such a such a different place from any place I had you know lived before, um, whether it be in college, law school, certainly growing up. Um, but I was, you know, I'm a competitive person, and I was attracted to the uh, the challenges of the practice in in New York. And um, you know, honestly, I thought that I would live in New York two or three years before the city would, you know, grind me up and spit me out, uh, given 
my background, but I've lived in New York for 35 years. Other than this odd period of um, remoteness in the last nine months, um, I've been in New York for the last you know 35 years. Um, it's a place, it's a very special city, and you know I think the opportunities are vast um, for any any person who's looking to have the ultimate in uh, challenging professional environments. That's a good segue to the to a question in the chat. I think, um, Andrea, do you want to jump in and ask the question or? Yeah, um, so my question basically was that given COVID, most of us either stayed in our Albany apartments or moved in with our parents, even if like I would love to have a career in New York City or maybe DC, that just wasn't possible last summer. Who knows if that's even gonna be possible this summer? Do you think that might change the perception of you need to have worked there to demonstrate interest that you want to move there and live there permanently? For sure, people are going to be sympathetic to people not being in New York over the last several months. That, that that's not going to be an issue to anybody. And um, I think I think actually what's happened over the last several months is going to be make it make it easier for folks to connect with people in New York. If you want to do that, we've hired a bunch of people during this who have, who have still never set foot in our offices, and and the interview process and the onboarding has gone way better than I ever would have imagined. Um, and we're doing a lot of social events on Zoom. The, the time it would have taken us to organize this presentation with all the people that are on it in, in person, it would have taken months to get this thing going. We did it in a couple of weeks. The, the, the speed of making connections is really improved and I, and I hope that that continues and you guys ought to use this. You're gonna find the lawyers like us who haven't used video. You know, my kids are on their videos. This makes me feel so old to say this, I can't believe I'm even saying it. But my kids are on their video chats with their friends all the time. And um, I've only been doing this for the last eight months, but but this is going to stick. And so you guys can use this to your advantage. I think this whole experience is is going to be, you know, a um, I mean, I hesitate to say game changing, but I think it's going to be a significant. There's going to be a significant sort of introspection by the profession about the way in which you know where you have to work and how you work um, as a consequence of this and. You know, it's the 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 um, you know the I think people are going to sort of look back and draw from the experience that we've had in the last year and figure out what what are things that we that should be kept and what are things that will you know just change the way we work um, going forward even after we're all vaccinated and and don't have the you know sort of over the overhang of the pandemic um, you know on top of us. Um, I really think it is going to um, give rise to some significant changes in the way we work day to day. Um, I think lawyers have largely been blessed to be able to continue to work and serve clients and and do the things that they do, um, notwithstanding uh, working working remotely. Um, I think there will be lots of things that we've picked up that are improvements in the way we work and interact with each other. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I have stopped uh, making, I, I don't make nearly as many phone calls as I used to. I, f I find that I'm doing much more uh, video chatting and FaceTiming, um, you know, Microsoft team meetings with clients. Um, you know, I was on a series of calls today that were 
video conferences on Microsoft Teams where you know, we're, we're communicating face-to-face -face by video, but um, it's much better than, um, than just you know, conference calling. Yeah, I think two big manifestations of that that I see, Bill, is I can't imagine when we're back in our offices, you know, someone coming to you and saying, Bill, the client in Singapore has a box of documents. I'm going to get on a plane and go look at them. <laughs> like, forget it. You know, just yeah. talk to them over a video chat. Or secondly, we would routinely get an email. I have a, a washing machine being installed tomorrow. I'm going to be working from home. I think a lot of us will just be working from home part of the time and working in the office part of the time and nobody's going to be asking questions about that. Yeah. I've, I've even over the years had debates with my partners. We only have one office. We're in New York. I'm from Buffalo and I went to school in Albany and, and I say all the time there's amazing kids coming out of law school who just don't know the city. They don't want to, they don't, maybe, maybe don't even want to work here. So this is a different question. Do you want to work for a firm? It's in New York, but you don't want to be in New York. Th those kind of opportunities might start to pop up as a result of this as well. Um, we're, this, is, this is going fast for me, at least. I hope it's not dragging for everybody else. Um, but we're going to run out of time if we, don't, if we don't maybe get to some more questions, if there are any. So, so if you have any, start thinking about maybe popping up with them. And, and a couple of other things that we wanted to touch on. Um, one was the issue of grades and, and how does that come up in a resume or does it? Um, Bill, thoughts on how, how to handle that issue? Sure. Um, honestly, by the time a candidate is sitting in front of me, I rarely actually look at the, I mean, I'll cast my eyes over it, but it's, it's sort of a, a rare situation where I'm, act, where I'm grilling a candidate about a grade. I mean, if there's an outlier grade, maybe it comes up. Um, you know, I, I will look, you know, again, as a transaction lawyer, I'll, I will look at the classes that someone has taken to see, you know, are there things that I can glean from coursework that indicate an interest in, in transactional um, work or is you know is there is there some some message I can take from the courses that a, a student has taken? Um, but beyond that, um, I'm much more interested in the person and um, you know what I can glean about their uh, potential as a lawyer um, through the conversation and not not dwell too much on the um, you know on grades. Um, usually, by the time someone has gotten uh, you know is sitting in the chair in front of my desk. Um, it's, it's, um, you know, that there's a, there's a presumption that they're, that they're more than uh, um, eligible to be uh, interviewed. And so it's, you know, th then it becomes, um, you know, uh, a, 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 a conversation like we've been talking about earlier. So. I agree with you, Bill. We, we, we um, you know, if you've made it through the screen to get the interview, I think grades are, are not that, um, they're not a focus with me either. They, they could be down the road if, you know, if you kind of get further down the process, firms are um, trying to make, to distinguish between very qualified candidates, all sorts of stuff can be on the table at that point. And I think you got to think about this, you know, there's, in, in law school, there are, you know, there are the students that went to undergrad straight to law school and are now interviewing for an office job for the first time. 
and there are people went on and took some time off between undergrad and graduate and have a life experience. And now we're kind of looking, you know, understand an office environment and now um, kind of coming in and have bring something else to the table. If you have gone straight through, there's not much for us, you know, especially at the screening level for us to judge you on other than grades. It's just a, it's the best indicator of, of um, what you've done because you don't have the, the work experience of, well, I was an accountant for five years and, you know, or I was an investment banker. Um, something else that kind of gives you the, um, the in, um, you know, or different, different type of credibility. If you've gone, if you've just been a student, then grades are what, what you have plus your internships during the summer. So Wendy, I don't know if you're reading the chat, but that might or might not be a good segue to a question that's sitting in there. Um, William, do you want to jump in? Yeah. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, so I'm an older student, you know, I'm uh, doing the accelerated program. So I'm like technically a 2L, but um, I'll be 35 when I graduate. So, you know, that's older than the average graduate. And it's definitely something I'm concerned about, you know, going into interviews with people 10 years my younger. Um, so I was wondering, is that something I should be concerned about? And if so, how do I mitigate the firm's concern with hiring an older recent graduate? Well, first of all, be careful about calling yourself 35. older in front of this panel. Because... <laughs> <laughs> so, so that goes back to the early discussions about know your audience and... and... <laughs> who you're talking to <laughs> um yeah i don't I, I don't think 35 is all that old you know um but by the way we hire people i'm sure everybody else on this call does from all walks of life the only thing i would say is the further you are in life the more focused you want to be on what it is you want to do because you know you can actually use it to your advantage i don't know what, what you did before this but say you know, i spent x years as an xyz um, I like to be able to use that and be able to become uh, this kind of lawyer that somehow connected to what you did before, unless you want to do something having nothing to do with what you do before. But um, I would love to be 35 again. Yeah, I remember vividly, I remember vividly uh, many of my classmates uh, who were successful law students, many of them had had uh, prior careers and then became very, you know, excellent law students, I, like Steve said, I, I would try to figure out a way to turn your um, prior experience into an advantage rather than viewing it as, a, as, as something that uh, would, hold, would hold you back. And, and you, have, you have such a long run rate, runway in the career once you jump into it. I mean, I'm working with partners who are, who, it's just amazing to work with people who've been practicing for 30, 40 years, who I, who I can um, learn from and, and you have a ton of time to do that. So, so nobody would look at you as jumping in at a time that's, that's giving you a short run, runway at all. Um, the other thing that I would say though, is that after you've done things, depending on what you've done in your past, if you're jumping into any position at an entry level, I do think you wanna demonstrate that you understand that, what that means to you as compared to where you were before and what you're jumping into and that you're, you're comfortable with with jumping into an entry-level position and why, and, and how, how you're gonna cope with that. That would be the one thing that, when I talk to people who have done other things before, I'm interested in. 
Uh, if I can add here, I mean, I think that that could give you a tremendous leg up on your peers, a tremendous leg up. But, but I agree as well, you know, especially if, you know, you know, for instance, you had a career in sciences or something going on to law school and have an interest in becoming a, you know, a patent litigator or something like that. I mean, it's, it, you, you would not be able to match the leg up that someone like that would have against, you know, just a um, a bright person who has an interest in science. Um, so you have to think about how that plays in. If it's a total career change, maybe that doesn't make a difference. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I, I actually, um, I find that the people who have taken some time off, whether it's, you know, a couple of years or more years, they are more focused and kind of know better what they want and have a have a better conversation and it's and it's and, and it's easier for me personally to to get some more insight into somebody and how they will fit in to our office culture if i can talk to them about past office work experience and um and i will tell a a, a quick story about you know so i i think i have a certain um uh you know, that's to, to take a break and work in between school to me is, is a very good um, character trait before going on to, to law school. And I was interviewing at Fordham one time and you know, kind of had my whole day of schedule of, of uh, screening interviews. And the, the last person on my schedule at you know, five o'clock didn't show up. And so I was sitting in the classroom at Fordham, taking my notes, trying to figure out, you know, who I liked and would call back. And uh, you know, someone came bursting in the door, just, you know, sweating because this is August in New York and, uh, you know, apologizing profusely. You know, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm, um, you know, 15 minutes late to a 20 minute interview. Um, I work, I'm, I'm in the Fordham night program. I work at BlackRock during the day and something came up and I was on a client call and I just couldn't get out. And I understand if you, you know, it's, my tough luck. And, you know, it's like, you got five minutes, kid. You know, let's, let's sit down. Here he is like dripping sweat. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, and in five minutes, you know, the discussion around how he had worked so his wife could go to law school. And then when she became a lawyer, um, you know, he went at night and how they made it work and stuff. Five minutes, I called the guy back. And we ended up hiring him and he stayed with KML for years before he ended up going in-house to, uh, to the client. Charlie, I, I had one question that was sent to me in the chat. So I just wanted to make sure we get to it before we run out of time. Um, I'll read it here for you. A student is asking, it sounds like um, you need to have the grades in order to get the screening interview is there anything you can do to set your resume apart with, if you don't have the GPA to get the interview? Uh, I go first. I mean, I think that that's, that's tough because it is, you know, it's, it is very important. Um, if you don't have that, then journal experience and um, writing onto Law Review or another journal um, is a way to you know, if you're not at the very top of your class, you kind of make that up because, you know, it, you know most of what we do is write 
And if you've gone to a contest and you've been able to kind of rise to the top, that's a that's a really good indication that you know how to write, which you know everybody on this panel will tell you we do a hell of a lot of writing. Yeah, and and the other thing is some kind of special interest or connection to the firm, you know. So if you have a biology degree and it's a patent firm or you know something like that could help you the one thing i do want to emphasize is this isn't the end all and be all you know the firms like ours are a tiny slice of the new york city market there are tons of law firms in new york it's much harder to find them than to find the amla 100 firms and we have lots of different entry paths so for example if you don't get in in this process think about clerking for a judge, because a lot of times we hire law clerks to judges. Think about becoming a prosecutor. You will probably get more experience trying cases as a prosecutor than you would at one of our law firms. Um, think about government. You know, if you're in the counsel's office to the governor, you know, you will have, you know, thought about some great thoughts or, or some specialty area like the EPA, for example, where you know very often you will see people that are specialists in a particular area. They got their knowledge and experience from working at the government, not from working at a law firm. And so we are always taking people at different entry points. And you know, the on-campus interview process isn't the end of the world. Yeah, and I think I think networking, person-to-person -person networking, to the extent you can, um, if you have. Um, an explanation for a bad stretch and that's affecting your grades and, and you can find a way you might not get in just by sending your resume into the you know sort of the mass submission but if, there, if there's a really good explanation for something and you have a record outside of that where, where you can show that that's a that's a patch with some explanation you might think about how are you how are you going to explain that that goes to sort of thinking about your individual situation, being very genuine about it, being open with the people you're talking about it, thinking about how best you can convey um, your experiences, whatever they are, in a way that matches what the people need. And so Whitney is right, and I think Steve's right, and we're the same way. Um, grades are definitely one of the first cutoff points because that's all we have to work with. Um, but if you, have a, if you have something that you can say about why your grades are what they are, you ought to think about that and, and convey it. I think the other thing to mention is um, just in the last, you know, three or four years, um, the, the school, the school, you know, Mary's made these efforts, Alicia has made these efforts uh, with, um, you know, the pool of Albany alums in New York City and getting to know us and our practices and just making sure that the school is sort of up on what New York, what alums are doing in New York City and they can be a resource to you. Uh, to try to pair you up with um, with lawyers or uh, law firms that may um, work well with your you know your background and your your interests and um, you know all the, the 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 firms that are represented here they have different criteria and um, are looking for different things and you know are are recruiting from other schools as well and so there's you know it's a it's a very competitive environment and. You know, there may be opportunities at one firm that um, that are not available at, at others, but the school, um, you know, will will be sort of up on what we're all doing in the city. And the, you know, there are other there are obviously are many other folks who aren't you know represented on this call who are practicing lawyers in New York successfully 
and they may have um, you know ideas or opportunities in the city. So it's it's just you know, take advantage of the resources that are that the school is offering, um, just with knowledge of who's doing what in in the city, and then you know don't be bashful about reaching out to the alums who are going to be you know we've been talking a lot about ways in which we can be. Uh, resourceful to each other um, as practicing lawyers, but also um, uh, helpful to students. Yeah, I think I just that that's a really, really good point, Bill. I mean, look at look at Lori's path. I mean, you know, it it makes a difference to um, you know if someone's picking up the phone that I know and saying, "I know this, I know this candidate. They're interested in you know in, in your firm or in this type of practice. I thought of you." Um, rather than getting something kind of cold over email. And you know, Lori, you had David Siegel, you know, um, you know, vouching for you to, you know, a judge at the Court of Appeal. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, certainly I, you know, my grades were not at a, a level after my first year of law school where I was getting interviews at any of the big firms in New York. Um, and I knew I needed to, so, you know, I, I really buckled down. I mean, I second and third year of law school, I was determined to get the best grades I could. And by the time I graduated, I was close to the top 10%. But I did two other things that you might want to think about. Um, obviously, your own situations are, are you know, unique and you need to fit, fit these suggestions in as, they, as, as you can, as you see fit. But um, I also took a part-time job um, in, uh, with a law firm in Albany and, and worked I don't know, 15 hours a week, but it gave me some additional practical experience um, that uh, to sort of complement my schoolwork. And then the other thing I did, I think in my senior, I think in my third year, I did an independent, or maybe it was my junior, second year, I did an independent study uh, project with a professor where I was very interested in, I was an English and journalism major, and I was really interested at that time in First Amendment and communications law. So I did uh, sort of an, what I did an independent study but research project where I wrote a very a, a law review kind of comparable paper for this independent study so when I went out on my interviews um, I actually I don't think I, I I still had a big research and writing project on my resume even though I wasn't on a journal and I was able to provide copies of that to employers that were interested so those were just other ways where I tried to fill in some of the, the skills that I thought um, employers were looking for um, to make up for the fact that my first year grades weren't weren't uh, at the at the ten you know I wasn't in the top ten percent. There's a story I have to tell, which uh, <laughs> you know, New York New York is kind of a uh, can be an intimidating place, and it's obviously very competitive and. I remember vividly um, when I was interviewing at Sullivan and Cromwell, a now long deceased partner uh, who I interviewed with, um, I walked into his office and sat down and he had his feet up on his desk and he looked down at my resume and he leaned back and he said, well, uh, your, um, your resume is uh, not quite Sullivan and Cromwell material, but it's close. And I think I blurted out, um, well, whoever gets me is gonna be very lucky. <laughs> And I think that, this, um, that I, I remember leaving his office in a deep sweat, going to talk to the hiring partner. Um, and I walked into his office and I sat down and he gave me an offer on the spot. And I l later learned that the, 
the, the previous partner had been, um, you know, was widely panned as not a very nice guy. And um, I think I avoided him like the plague when I, when I started work at uh, SNC. But the reason to tell the story is, other than the fact that it scarred me for life, um, is that it, uh, you should always be um, ready for the unexpected in an interview. You know, people are people. You never know what someone is going to say to you in an interview. And for the most part, interviews are going to be pretty bland and, um, you know, uh, run of the mill. But occasionally um, something will happen and, you know, um, try to turn it into a positive rather than a negative experience. I mean, I, I thought that I had blown the interview uh, when I le left that one office, but apparently what I did, what I did actually um, was considered, you know, was considered a plus. So. So, so we might be over the time that we allotted for this and, and maybe it makes sense to end any formal part of this, but I'm happy to, I don't know if, if, what people's schedules are. If, the, if people do want to try to have a little bit of a conversation after this, I'm happy to do that. Uh, does it make sense to sign off in a formal way, Mary? I leave that to you. So what I would say is, um, why don't we first, let me just say thank you to all of our wonderful panelists and um, Charlie for moderating. I think this was such an amazing experience in terms of the information that has been conveyed um, so um, candidly. So I thank you for that. Thank you.